Welcome to the TFT Podcast. I'm Matt. That's Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Matt. How are you? <laughs> happy, happy 2014, Matt. <laughs> you know, I thank you. You say that as if you don't mean it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, well, listen, here's the thing is what is real anymore? I mean, <laughs> you know, when we left you, uh, dear listeners, in, in back in 2013, um, in, in asking, asking the, uh, the question of is kitten front woman Chloe Chidez for real, uh, I was prompted to question in the very nature of reality. Um, and so, so really, um, we're, and we're going to continue with that, that, you know, deep dive into the rabbit hole, uh, with a, with another, uh, edition of uh, total request taped. That's exciting. So these, uh, uh, this time we have tweets from, um, longtime overthinking it reader and contributor, Timothy Swan, who is at Tetrarch, Tetrarch angel, on Twitter, uh, from Arden Seldens uh, on Twitter, and from Tulse, uh, who is a commenter in the comments. And those, uh, those bands are 65 Days of Static, um, Sleigh Bells, and Protest the Hero. And uh, we're going we're gonna to um, talk about those. And then this will be our, uh, this will be our last sort of listener-suggested show. And then uh, a listener-suggested band show. And then next time we're going to get into some, uh, some pairings of, of bands that we might have done that might have been on our agenda anyway. Uh, but that um, someone suggested that we uh, juxtapose. And so if you want to guide your listening for next time, uh, we're going to be talking about Lana Del Rey and about uh, Lady Gaga. But, uh, and specifically Lady Gaga's uh, Art Pop and Lana Del Rey's uh, Born to Die album. Oh, there you go. Um, so if you want to... Uh if you want to right now, you should go listen to uh, 65 Days of Static. The album is uh, – oh, I can't remember. Wild Light. Okay, excellent. Um, uh, the album is Wild Light. Uh, Protest the Hero. The album is called Volition. And uh, for Sleigh Bells, the album is – is bitter rivals? Oh, that's I. I had intended to make a joke about us being bitter rivals when we started the. Podcast. Yes, but I need you for survival. <laughs> so there's a there's a missed opportunity right there. So um, let's uh, let's dig dig right in. Sixty five days of static. Non, uh, it's instrumental music. There is not a like a vocal line. Um, but let me do, I, you know what I want to do a little cognitive agenda setting actually sure. before we before we really dig in and I want to posit the the big question um, or maybe the medium sized question of course because the big question is are these guys for real are these guys for real but the the medium sized question that I want to posit is what do you do after rock right it's the question mm-hmm. of post rock and mm-hmm. I think there are three compelling answers to what you do with the tradition of rock and roll music. Uh, you know, but with the capabilities that we have today and with a, a sort of artistic drive to to develop the music, right? To develop um, popular sort of rhythmic, mo- mostly up-tempo guitar-driven music. Um, what do you do? How far away from guitar uh, do you go? And what is your, wh- what is your response to the anxiety of rock's influence. That is to say, because rock has already accomplished all the awesome things that rock has accomplished, how do you set your conceptual table so that you, um, 
can maintain your self-respect and kind of position yourself in relation to the the tradition without being completely derivative of it and without just recapitulating uh, the victories that, that, you know, rock and roll has had. And so I think there are three, I think there are three answers to that question here. And 65 days of static is the one that, that moves farthest away from, um, farthest away from the rock and roll uh from the tropes of rock and roll in terms of instrumentation uh song structure right and and the most into what we might call electronic music or you know Mm. god forbid but electronica uh you know so so that i mean does that make sense to you ryan as a way of approaching these bands yeah i think so um when i think that i mean i think that you know to answer the start answering the question with another question um in terms of in this medium size um scope is you know is what does it mean to be post rock and you answered this a little bit of of one way to be post rock is kind of you know rock has accomplished what it set out to accomplish or kind of the what can be done within the parameters of of the genre of rock and roll has been accomplished and so then there's some kind of a strong you know a strong misreading of the of the tradition that um that is is some type of a path-breaking move uh from 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 that canon but that is still intelligible right and and so I think that's one um, way to interpret that. I guess another is kind of chronologically, just you know, it is after <laughs> rock, <Sure>. um, <laughs> and and and, uh, and 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 I don't know if there are others. Um, you know, it's it's uh, or it's either after rock, such as like rock has again ceased, or is it you know a like a post party uh and i i guess i think i mean i think about it even just in terms of the term of post rock rather than after rock right and and um and 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 really thinking about uh really kind of thinking through um through that um and and what that what that means well yeah um, unpack, and, unpack that a little bit because it's the i mean post is the the latin word for after and in, in literal in a literal sense they mean the same thing but but they don't clearly yeah and i'm trying to i mean i i, I let's 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 kind of work through this together because i just have this intuitive sense um i think and- that i think that the idea of post-rock post-rock to me would imply that rock is either over or is completely irrelevant right and uh this is this is the post the post renaissance or that that the age the age there's been kind some kind of like terminal point on on the the continuum the timeline of rock mm-hmm. and now we're we're after that but saying that this comes after rock in uh i i think situates uh situates both musics in a in a larger timeline um, where there may be mm-hmm. sort of overlapping, yeah. th- there may be sort of overlapping tales on the the individual timelines of the genres, right? Well, and, and so in some ways, in that way, then actually, after rock is almost more um, more appropriate, or even like late rock, um, because I think that right. So you know, to, to go back to a band that we discussed uh, last week, if we are in the if we are in post rock, then what are the Arctic Monkeys? Uh-huh. Um, you know that uh, especially the Arctic Monkeys, who were first described as post 
punk, uh, or maybe even if you really were pushing it, uh, and to really have the you know the Ouroboros to, to really do a, a musical Ouroboros, you could really probably call the Arctic Monkeys' first album neo post punk, right? So right. if the first post punk is uh, in the late 1970s, early 1980s, the um, the 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 Arctic Monkeys are pay are playing um, post punk, um, but again, right? <laughs> They're revisiting post punk uh, in the in the early two thousands, um, and so you know, and and you know, similarly, some of the earlier uses of the word um, post rock are you know appearing um, a lot in the in the nineties. Um, and so, where and uh, sixty-five days of static, um, uh, who I was not really, who I was not familiar with uh, at all um, until um, Tim uh, Tim put them on our, our radar. You know, were first started to be have been active for about a decade now. Um, and their first album, um, which I believe is called something like "The End of Math." Um, is uh from 2004 so is about is now this year will be turning um uh 10 and so they're already kind of late post post rock or after or neo post rock or or something like that and i i um, understand from some of the critical material that that and and we didn't listen to the whole discography we only listened to the uh to the 2013 release but um i i understand that they started out maybe closer to rock with more guitar driven music and have i i understand this from some of the the critical material that we read and um and have in through the trajectory of their uh, of that band's time together uh, have gone more and more electronic and more towards sort of ambient or or elect, you know more so- towards some of these electronic music genres. Yeah, I think that that's I think that that's right, and I think that that's an interesting thing of. What happens right if you have post rock what happens after post rock right um, uh, and and is it post post rock uh, do they cancel out and it becomes rock when when does it become rock again um, and and I think that you know I think that and it, it's interesting um, you know another way to approach this was was for me you know I think that engaging you know the way i engaged with all of um so i guess in terms of thinking again about the kind of bigger picture on um our the three bands for our episode sleigh bells was the only um act uh, that i had i had uh, listened to um before they were recommended um and so for um for uh 65 days of static and protest the hero um you know i what i did first is you know fire up the album uh, the the newest album and the album that was recommended um on uh on 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 spotify and i maybe did enough of a google search to see you know what comes up first on wikipedia right so for 65 um days of static what i saw is that they're an instrumental post-rock and math rock band um and i listened to um to to the record um and and it was it was hard for me to and so you know what i I think what I'm, I'm trying to describe is the process of understanding what, you know, the, my, my, you know, lexicon, my kind of cultural, uh, what vocabulary to use to even engage with this. And I had a, a lot of trouble when I, the first time I listened, um, uh, to it. And I think that, um, you know, earlier, earlier today in, in preparing for this episode, I went back to, um, the first album and that gave me a little bit more to, to dig into, not only because it was, 
closer to rock or closer to post rock or maybe maybe that is maybe that is exactly why um but it it definitely so it's not that that album is more rock but it is more close to other um post rock bands that um that I know of that are in the the pitchfork sphere and I think that that's one interesting thing with uh 65 days of of static right so if we if we we've Pose research questions at the kind of highest level of abstraction and, and the medium level. Um, a pretty granular one that uh, Tim posed actually in his first tweet to us um, on uh, November 18th is, is 65 Days of Static's Wild Light new and indie enough for the rebooted show? And in some ways, it's almost too indie. Um, at least like in my first pass at the at the album, I didn't have my Pitchfork review saying, well, these, these um, textures are reminiscent of uh, the ambient Siths on Fuck Button's new album. Uh, or 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 has percussive uh, tr- uh, textures similar to um, the classic Red Line album by Trans Am. Um, and it's weird because I was able to make some of those connections to some of these other bands that are in a you know, post-rock uh, or noise-rock space um, through the first album, which was kind of maybe more in that tradition, but now that there's the band has been operating for for ten years um and it, you know is in their kind of own um scene and I think largely more of a uk centric scene um it was interesting to kind of start in the middle um with with the band and try to grasp through the music without the benefit of, of lyrics or a lot of um a lot of context um and then you know find ways to 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 get purchase on this and this is a experience that we talked about um last week with some of the other um new music i mean sure. what was your experience of approaching this with uh, yeah that, like i mean that, that was I, I that's absolutely right and i actually had that same i had that same thought of and uh, honestly i mean being you know you being an academic and me being at least well versed in academia in a different uh, in a different field, right? Like, uh, I I sort of want to know what the reference biography or what the reference yeah. work on this particular thing is, and what the canonical examples are, right? And like, because I have, and I've I've sort of referred to it as a library of norms, right? I have a library yeah. of norms yeah. that encompasses certain terrains within you know the the global and historical practice of music, um, but not. Uh, not all of them, right? And so this is outside, this is outside the, uh, uh, outside my library of norms because I I don't listen to a lot of, to a lot of music like this. I I actually feel like we should get Jordan Stokes on to talk about 65 Days of Static a little bit because I think that, that this, um, as much as it's influenced by sort of popular rock and roll, it's as influenced by, um, uh, art music, 20th century uh, art music and technologic or electronic uh, music. Um, yeah. Yeah, and there is a, a strand of that that, again, intersects in various ways with, you know, pop music and with, with indie music, right? So the kind of, you know, there is a line of genealogy that goes, you know, maybe through, you know, through, um, like, Brian Eno um, on the kind of pop side um, and production side and, like, Steve Reich uh, and things like that that you get familiar with, um, I so, think, so uh, you say, listening to kind of contemporary uh, indie music. You say Steve Reich, and honestly, un- unbidden, I was thinking about Steve Reich while I was listening to this. Before I 
before I like loaded up the Wikipedia page for what math rock is and saw, you know, the influence of, of Steve Reich. And maybe, I mean, maybe it's time to dive in. I, here's what I thought, right? Like the, the, um, the management of tension of excitement and tension, Mm -hmm. um, I should say anticipation and, uh, and release, uh, throughout, uh, a 65 uh, days of static song, at least on, on this record seemed less like, less like uh, rock and roll, which involves sort of verse chorus bridge structures where you have, it's, it's like you stack um, Lego blocks or you stack like wooden blocks into a stair. You're moving from plateau of excitement to plateau of excitement. Whereas this was like a, uh, these songs are like a um, like a gradual incline, right? In terms of the 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 creation of excitement or the kind of the management of of tension and anticipation uh, and payoff, uh, largely due to the compositional technique of sort of layer of starting with a bed and layering a yeah. sound on top of that and layering a sound on top of that and layering a sound on top of that until you end up with a very very busy. Uh, and and kind of raucous texture at the end from from these musical materials that yeah. were at the outset extremely extremely minimal and it's I mean yeah. it's really interesting I, I I think it would be better if I did drugs uh, honestly <laughs> right because like I I sort of I don't I don't have a ton that I can kind of hook into and sort of pay attention to unless I'm like meditating or high or something like that mm-hmm. right like. Um, and and like the whole point is to concentrate in in minute detail on you know on the the drop of water you know the particular drop of water in the ocean and the kind of the 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 meditation on on consciousness and a lot of the reviews yeah. that that you've uncovered on Google uh, and that you sent along to me like were written in that like very grandiose you know almost kind of religious uh, mm. or or transcendent I should say they they participated in a discourse of transcendence that is historically religious or at least is in my experience mm. religious and so like uh, you know about like the meaning of life and stuff. Um, and, and so I, I was sort of thinking about this, like what is, what is, um, what is the, the, this compositional technique about? And I thought of, you know, the greatest hits album of, of Steve Reich, which is Come Out, right? And you, I'm, I'm going to put a, a link to it in the show notes. You got to experience all 15 minutes of this uh, of this song, if if you haven't, it's and it's a um, it's a sample, uh, though I think it was done on a reel to reel tape recorder, not on a computer, because it was done a while ago. Um, where uh, it's uh, in the left ear or the right ear, there are two tracks, and they gradually go out of phase and come back into phase with one another. So it's the same sample being being uh, uh, b- played back and kind of going out of phase and back into phase over the course of fifteen mm-hmm. minutes, and. And that's an idea, and and it's almost sort of more important as an idea than it is as a um, uh, than than it is as a uh, as a work that that you need to endure all fifteen minutes of. Though you know, if you want to stay my friend, you definitely anyone listening to this has to uh, put on the mostly because I did in college uh, has to put on the the full fifteen minutes of of come out. Um, there's another. Well- Oh yeah, go ahead. Because I have I have my Steve Reich piece uh, as as well. Um, but go ahead with your your second one. The the other one say. that is that is the um, where I sort of wonder I wonder if the uh, 
if the compositional technique as an idea isn't more important than, isn't somehow more vital than the actual experience of listening, is a piece called I Am Sitting in a Room <laughs> from 1969 by Alvin Lucier. And what he did was he, he, um, he was a uh, composer of, um, of this sort of new experimental music, this sort of minimalist uh, music that was influenced by Varese and music concrete, which involved manipulating tape loops. Um, uh, there's a, a Varese piece called Dripsody, and I'm making notes so that I, uh, I include these. Uh, in the show notes, um, there's a Varese piece called, I think it's called Dripsity, where it's, uh, it's a recording of w- a water drop that's used thousands and thousands of times over the course of a couple minutes long uh, piece. And just, I mean, just, it must have been incredibly labor intensive to, uh, to make these things. But in I'm Sitting in a Room, uh, the composer, uh, Alvin Lucier, um, Lucier, I suppose, uh, he uh, says a speech, he says a short paragraph of text into a tape recorder and then plays that tape recorder back into a second tape recorder, plays that back into the first tape recorder, plays that back into the second tape recorder and on and on and on and on through cycles, uh, of this, um, until the dominant frequencies of the room assert themselves. And, uh, and all you hear is this kind of undifferentiated whale song, uh, of just just kind of rhythm and tone, and his entire um, all of his speech, uh, all of the the humanness of the speech has been completely obliter- obliterated or completely kind of steamrollered into these uh, into these sound waves. Um, and he uh, uh, Alvin Lucier had a stutter had a, had a pretty severe mm. stutter, and so there was also this. It's a really compelling piece because you you gradually hear his stutter get sort of smoothed out right over the course of generations of generations and so the piece is each generation of these thing of this thing if it goes back and forth 50 times and each one is like three minutes long you know you could listen to this thing for three hours uh and i'm not sure you need to do that you know scrub forward on youtube right like to you know 20 minutes 40 minutes 60 minutes etc and i i think you get the you get the um the idea so that the compositional technique is maybe more compelling than the actual experience of, of, of listening to the music. And, um, while that's not quite true of 65 days of static, I, I thought it was, it was close to getting, uh, getting to be true though. 65 days of static is referenced more to rock. Anyway, thank you for letting me go on it. No, no, no. And no, and I want to, I have a few other pieces of this that I think that we can kind of help, um, circle around. Um, and, and I think, I mean, for me, the Steve Reich, my kind of entree into the world of Steve Reich um, is uh, a piece uh, called Drumming, um, and, uh, and and uh, we'll put the link in as well. And I think that it's very similar, like some of the pieces that you um, discuss, uses a technique of phasing, right? Uh, and and so this is, and what's really cool about drumming is that there's uh, four parts, um, and. In each part, there are is different percussion instrumentation. So I think the first one's like bongo drums. Um, the second one is marimbas. The third one is is glockenspiels. Um, and the fourth one is the full ensemble of these. And so as you go through these, these are kind of relatively similar. Um, and each in each of these parts, there are several of the each you know of the featured. 
type of percussion instrument um, that play a relatively simple um, uh, rhythm, but um, out of phase with one another. And so they come, they breathe in and out, um, and and that things um, stack and 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 layer in interesting ways, um, kind of creating and 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 morphing what's going on. And and then you, and then the um, fourth part, kind of um, you know, is is the agglomeration of of parts, right? And 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 then and and there's there's a kind of a, a, a meta phasing um, at play. And I think that um, and and you know. I then understand this technique a lot through, again, um, a good example of this in the kind of pitchfork sphere um, is uh, is Dan Deacon, um, who is, you know, trained in in, in art music, but uses it to make um, these, to make um, largely, really songs that have you know, bubblegum um, pop structures, uh, but then, but then at the same time, are are woven from these kind of dense, you know, synthesized uh, uh, fabrics and you know, intensely pitch shifted uh, vocals. And I think one of the actually the um, uh, the the album that kind of does this the most clearly uh, is his album that kind of crossed first crossed over to the indie mainstream, which is called uh, the Spider Man of the Rings. Um, and in particular, the first track on this is called Woody Woodpecker, and it's just a sample of Woody Woodpecker's laugh um, that is sampled at various speeds and various uh, rates. And so, obviously, uh, draws on these um, these techniques that we're um, talking about. And I think that you know, and, and what's interesting though is that. You know, I didn't necessarily immediately engage with this tradition with um, uh, um, 65 Days of Static. And part of what um, the, the actually cued this for me and kind of an understanding some of the specific pieces um, is uh, the music video for, uh, for Prisms, which I actually just uh, saw recently after listening to the album a few times. Um, and we'll, we'll link this in, in the show notes. Um, and uh, as they describe um, in an interview that we'll also link, that this, um, the, the video is all uh, com- computer-generated and is based on essentially um, an algorithm that uh, visualizes um, several of the, the song stems and some of the pieces that comprise the song. And I think that understanding that way in which the video is made and actually watching the video is, for, for me, is what unlocked the music for me um in that there are as you say and and you know as in um a lot of this you know, tradition is going back through um steve reich these you know discrete units that then um and interact in in a variety of ways and and you know the visual um that's in the in the video that i think is an interesting metaphor is there's like kind of a, a tuber or a stem um and uh, uh and 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 then these like shoots coming out of it in different directions and it's moving in and out um and and uh, and you know they say that this is not animated but in fact is you know a kind of computer generated reaction to to the the um the sound clips and i think this way this this sprouting um you know asymmetrically and in in unexpected ways actually in addition to helping me understand how the songs you know understanding the process um of of making the songs and the compositional technique and then understand you know the the what the songs were and what the what the album was also like I mean, it, what it reminded me of, what the visual of like a tuber with shoots coming off of it, you know, made me think a little bit of, um, 
you know, an idea that uh, th- th- that's in um, kind of some kind of you know kind of contemporary social theory um you know specifically in like Deleuze of the idea of a rhizome um and and, and so rather than um you know specifically hierarchical kind of you know tree like you know uh stem and branch uh movement like the, the this kind of unexpected you know shattering rupturing cross uh you know cross cutting movement of kind of idea and and sound and meaning um and and um and I, I kind of in seeing this in the visual and and as a kind of product of the music, I think was was interesting, right? And and so I guess there's an interesting question of is this actually post rock at all, or is it just or is it anti rock, right? Um, and is it is it uh, is it um, you know why why do they need rock? Why do we need rock anymore? Um, once we're riding the tuber. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I. You it know, is not a tuba. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we have to. Uh, I think we have to move on. Um, let's push on to uh, let's push on to sleigh bells and the album. Uh, Bitter Rivals. Um, Ryan, are these guys for real? Um, I mean, what what is real? I, I think they, <laughs> they are really wearing those Wayfarer sunglasses. That's for sure. That much I can tell you. Um, and those those guitars really have tiger stripes on them. <laughs> yep. um, I think that... You know, I've I've had a a, a long relationship with you know I, I, I with with the band Slave Bells. I, you know, I was first aware of them. You know, that they became kind of popular on indie rock um, blogs before they had an album. They they played some shows uh, at the CMJ Music Festival in New York, um, and I believe it would have been like two thousand nine. Um, and CMJ is a is a essentially an industry conference, which is kind of a matchmaking venue uh, linking um, you know kind of indie buzz bands and bands that are written about on on music blogs uh, to to um, industry folks and label representatives. Um, and so and and I think that. You know what's what's really striking about um, uh, about about sleigh bells is you know and you can either and again this is almost more apparent even without the narrative right so there's you know the, when you listen to a sleigh bells uh, song you hear three things right the uh, you know vocalist Alexis Krause's um, you know vocals that have been uh, that are often described as cheerleadery or girlish um, you hear um, the uh, Derek Miller's monstrous guitars that are described as you know as 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 monstrous or or um, or or metallic or or large or aggressive and you hear a drum machine right and and so that's um, you know and that's that's very there it's like all of the pieces are, are in front of you, and I think that there is an interesting piece of biography here, um, in which they're both. Um, this is not the first like, large and serious musical project for either um, of the uh, of these musicians. Um, that uh, Derek Miller was um, 
in a a kind of a hardcore post hardcore um, band uh, called uh, uh, Poison the Well, um, and uh, and uh, Alexis uh, Kraus was in um, a, a kind of um, a, a team pop group um, called Ruby Blue, and so the, this is. You know, similar to some of the bands that we discussed uh, last week, that are you know attempts to kind of um, that are that are professionalized in some way or another. On the one hand, there's something very interesting about this combination, um, and uh, and then at the same time, um, you also see that there is an attempt of people who have some background um, doing music pretty seriously at this kind of pro am you know professional amateur level um doing something pretty serious right so now the and the album that we're discussing that we listened to for this week bitter rivals um is there is their third album um doing a version of of this um and so they're they're and and they do what they are doing um and and it's interesting to you know to, in terms of describing it both um our 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 listener uh both uh, uh Tulse who who requested um the the song um and uh, even their wikipedia page right describe them um as as noise pop um and i think that that's often the flattering description that's given them and uh and and, and the unflattering is i think the two unflattering the two um more unflattering descriptions are um uh uh you know, hipster jock jams and uh, neo rap rock, <laughs> um, which uh, which feel a lot different from from noise pop. From noise, um, yeah, which sort of which sort of dignifies it. Well, can I? I mean, can I make an observation? And I don't know sure. if this is flattering or not. But when I was uh, when I was a teenager, I really liked early Beck. Right, hmm. I like uh, around the area, the era of Mellow Gold, um, and then there were some like independently released uh albums from his label which i think was called bongload records at the time um like uh one foot in the grave and uh um oh i for, i forget all the titles i had them all on i had them all on cd uh at the time and there i i found it sort of similar in uh, similar aesthetically in terms of sort of mixing up the mixing up the the uh maybe not hardcore, but this sort of rock sound with electronic music, with this sort of white person rapping uh, phenomenon and with with a certain kind of arty hipster vibe, right? Um, that Beck has never, never entirely, uh, never entirely abandoned. So um, I don't know, it just, uh, it, it, it seemed akin, it seemed akin to me to some of those, those kind of early, uh, more experimental, looser and kind of more tongue in cheek, uh, uh, songs of of or albums of Beck. I think that's right, and again, that, no, and I think that, that is charitable. A less charitable realization is that um, you know who else did that? Um, Limp Biscuit, uh, which is like basically the like <laughs> indie credibility equivalent of God winning them. Like, right? Like, <laughs> um, the, the, you know, like to to like you know, it's a very fine line between Beck and Fred Durst, um, <laughs> and 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 they and and that's and and I think what's really interesting is that. Um, 
that Sleigh Bells really, uh, really dances, you know, right on that line. And, and, um, and I think that, um, you know, and, and I, I think that this album really showcases that really well. Um, that, you know, I came around on Sleigh Bells and, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, that, I guess one thing we didn't get to talk about with 65 Days of Static, or we, we started to talk about it, is what you would do while listening to this music. Yes, 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 yes. And I think that's so important because the name rock and roll, right, mm. is actually a metonymy, right? The music doesn't rock and roll. It's, it's, it's a substitution by association. It's a description of what your body does in response to the music, right? It's a, it's a description of the kind of dancing, you know, the kind of like raucous, sexual, uh, you know, um, sort of sexually promiscuous and dangerous, uh, ethnically coded black, right? Like, uh, movement. Yeah. That um, that accompanies this music, and so yeah. I was thinking, like, I was wondering about, I was wondering about sixty five days of static and and the proper the proper response. And actually, by the way, this is going to become uh, even more. Uh, this is going to become even more uh, pronounced in Protest the Hero, where I have a I have a, a physical response of like closing my eyes and like bending over in in silent contemplation and not like jumping up and down and throwing elbows and windmilling frantically uh, while I'm uh, you know while I'm while I'm listening to it. But like what what about sleigh bells, right? Like yeah, 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 what, yeah, yeah. I mean, is well, it is the that, proper response like so hoist that, your PBR? Oh, sorry, sorry, I, I stomped on you. Is the is the is the proper response to hoist your PBR? Uh, I think. Well, let's see. I mean, I think that there's a lot of things that one could do for to sleigh bells, right? That you could. I, I think that. I think initially, and and when um, when when um. You know, when when they first came out, that is what the most that happened was hoisting the PBR, and you know, it reminds me your description of rocking and rolling as as a descriptor, uh, as a metonymy for the dance moves. Reminds me of um, a song by one of my favorite bands, uh, the um, Dismemberment Plan, called uh, "Doing the Standing Still," uh, that describes uh, the, you know the 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 uh, art of not moving at all. Um, uh, during indie rock shows um, and, and they sort of say, you know, this is the new craze that all the kids are not moving to and they're doing the standing still. Um, and I think that, you know, standing still was the thing that Slaybells starting as started as, but that really, you know, what I like for Slaybells is if I need to really, you know, not do the most organizational and meticulous part of my um uh, uh, of 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 any of my um, types of either like work work or housework, but when I need to lead with my body, and whether that is actually through like the more you know, whether it's like sort of sweeping the floor, or if I had a driveway, uh, shovel the driveway, um, or you know dust dust the apartment, pack you know pack boxes, uh, or even with um, with the knowledge work that I do, like do the type of you know what we've talked about before and what um, uh, is referred to on um, the back to work podcast that we've um, talked about a little bit, the Merlin man, Dan Benjamin productivity podcast of making the clackety sound. What I need to kind of engage the body 
um, Slaybells is really good for that because of the way in which the the drums, guitars, and voice all hit, um, and they and that it's it's kind of standing at um, the center of. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Like I actually never thought about them in, with res- uh, the with reference to the type of um, phase music that we were just, and experimental art music that we were talking about with um, uh, the Steve Reich line. But the metaphor I was just about to use to describe uh, sleigh bells is, you know, I'm imagining a, um, if you ever have been to a water park um, and have been at a, a wave pool, I'm imagining a, a three-way wave pool that's kind of a, 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 um, a, 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 a that looks like a kind of radioactivity sign. Um, and so there's kind of three wave pools um, that go in different directions that intersect in the middle and and like listening to uh, sleigh bells is like standing in the middle of that or like being on the boogie board in the middle of that wave pool uh and and just riding those waves um and so and 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 um and, and in contrast you know 65 days of static um and so if you actually have a, a suggested listening and maybe we'll as we go through these three bands um we can come up with a suggested order you know and I think thinking of sleigh bells in this way makes me then re-understand post-rock in another way. Is that after the rockin' and rolling, you know, that um, that that 65 days of later is kind of the musical shavasana, uh, and, and you know, to use the yoga terminology of the kind of um, you know, shavasana is the um, the yoga pose that's also known as corpse pose, the flat on your back pose that you um, do at the end of, of a yoga session in which your body is just kind of, that you allow things to melt and release and let go. And so um, that, that post-rock is the, what your body is doing and what your mind is doing after, after rocking and rolling. Huh. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what did you do while, while listening to Sleigh Bells and what did it make you want to do? <laughs> I, uh, I mean, to be honest, I, I did my day job computer programming. <laughs> but did you program more vigorously? <laughs> I really, I was making the clackety noise. I was like lifting my fingers up real high and people in the office in the co-working space were like looking at me over the tops of their MacBooks. Like, what is that guy doing? You know? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, here's an interesting, here's another question I have for you. I mean, so does, how much does it matter, right? So, um, you know, when Tulse uh, recommended, um, uh, sleigh bells to us, uh, and that was after episode eighty, which is uh, the episode in which we discussed uh, churches. Um, that uh, Tulse said that much much of sleigh bells material deals with power and relationships among high school teens, uh, and their first album has a photo of cheerleaders on the uh, the cover. Um, and so the lyrical content seems within the remit of of TFT, um, and I think that. Um, and then Tulsa goes on to say, and the music is a fascinating melange of synth, chants, and pounding beats and power guitar. Um, and I guess the question is, how much of that first part of that, of the, of the lyrics, came through and, and bubbled up for you? Or was it that the voice was another, another instrument? Like, another sonic, yeah, another sonic element. I wouldn't even call it an, an instrument in the traditional sense of musical instrument, yeah. right? It was mm-hmm. another, it was another sonic element in the kind of, in the, in the sort of soup. I mean, I referred kind of throughout this season of TFT to the sort of wall of sound, um, 
a type of orchestration or type of instrumentation, the the kind of aesthetic palette of of the wall of sound, whether it's accomplished through like the use of a lot of reverb or through um uh, you know, through like just layering, layering sound upon sound upon sound is in 65 days of static and other sort of more electronic, I mean, certain aspects of traverses, right? Like, uh, are, are sort of wall of sound, uh, noises versus the kind versus a kind of focused and stripped down, um, sound that I, I described in certain of the, the, like the Arctic monkeys, um, songs last week though uh you know and this to me this was like it was more noise the voice was sort of one more noise and sort of parsing the lyrics for their you know poetic or thematic uh verbal content right seemed kind of beside the point to me yeah um that's I mean, we did we did uh, joke early on in this uh, podcast about one of the key um, you know lyrical contents, um, right? So in some ways, or I guess the way in which you what you look for are the things that you grab, and obviously song titles or album titles, you know, come out right. So that you know the hook on the um, on the title track, and which is the first track on the record, "You Are My Bitter Rival, But I Need You for Survival," um, really. Um, comes out uh, as does you know the I think the other one of the lyrics that really jumps out um, on the album is is the kind of first um, you know intelligible lyric um, which is it was the best of times it was the worst of times I had to kill the new sheriff in town yep I mean again is there anything there and, and so these are both kinds of you know positing these kinds of symbi- some kind of whether or not symbiotic relationship but kind of Right. Um, That there is um, whether that's like, you know, needing one's bitter rival for survival um, or the kind of, you know, evocation of um, of of, you know, a tale of two cities and the kind of dualisms in that. I mean, is there anything there or is it just, you know, might this have just been like um, created by uh, by algorithm as the as as was the the um, CGI tuber? Is it it just a tuber? (laughs) (laughs) You're saying, is this a horse e-lyric? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and I no, I mean I think the idea like that that definitely reads high school to me and not just because um uh that reads high school to me and not just because uh, we are a sort of youth culture podcast among other things and you know there's been a a uh, explicit invocation of of high school themes in this um the uh the best of times worst of times i mean the the tale of two cities um it is a staple of high school reading lists mm-hmm. right and and so like it sort of serves to situate it within the intellectual uh, within the intellectual context of of high school, though it is like it is uh, of a piece with this sort of dualism, right? Like that that kind of that sort of the idea of an age of co- the age of contradictions is is something that's borne out in other in other places, as we point pointed out, uh, rival slash survival. Um, in, in the lyrics on this record, but uh, I had to kill the new sheriff in town sort of makes me think of makes me think of the sort of political violence of like Blair and her minions, you know, like what is Blair other than, you know, a person who constantly has to kill mm-hmm. the new sheriff in town, you know, uh, 
and the idea of this sort of the, mm-hmm. maintaining the mm-hmm. the maintaining the orderly operations of stationary banditry, right? Involving putting down uh, people who would exercise power with a claim to greater legitimacy. Um, yeah, like is uh, is seems like definitely of a piece with the the you know I don't know the the high school the social paradigms of of high school right. Absolutely, and I mean that is, um, you know, in a piece that we've talked about a lot in the TFT universe, um, especially in the kind of um, in the in the first you know semester the first. The, the the BA degree of the first you know what um, four years of the podcast that kind of mostly focused on Gossip Girl and and to a certain extent uh, Glee um, we talked a lot about um, some work by a sociologist uh, and historian um, Charles Tilley uh, who was one of the kind of key ideas of this kind of state making and war making as organized crime and 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 one of the kind of originators of this idea of specialists in violence and definitely argues that one of the um, tasks of, of state making is elimination of rivals um, and so it, it, I think that that's exactly you know that both uh, so that I think that that's um, exactly right on and so what that means is um, we're just reading the tea leaves here and Alexis Krauss is going to kill Lord uh, <laughs> is what's going to happen uh, and and like or Lord just maybe right. maybe she, Alexis Lord will never ever be a royal because like sleigh bells are going to put an end to that <laughs> well right like there there are at least two ways to to eliminate rivals like one one is with violence you know deploy your specialists mm-hmm. in violence against them uh, another is discursively right and we've talked a lot about the sort of the exercise of discursive power mm-hmm. on the tft podcast and you can sort of go after their you can go after their uh uh legitimacy so my point is that alexis krauss is the um Alexis Krauss is behind the Lord is a racist phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on exactly. The, on the internet, right? Yeah, or maybe maybe like Alexis Krauss actually um, uh, is behind like the uh, Royals appeared uh, on the uh, it, it was uh, performed um, on one of the later episodes of this season of uh, The Voice, and so I bet Alexis Krauss put them up to that because uh, no one will think that uh, that Lord is cool anymore once it's been on The Voice. Um, actually, and- since we can't have a TFT podcast without talking about lord i just want to mention i tweeted this out on the tft twitter but um i uh there's a great interview that is really a great uh interview between um lord and tavi gevinson jevinson gevinson i think from rookie uh rookie magazine uh that i you know that you should just you should just go look out and i'll link it up in uh, i'll link it up in the show notes so you can look at it um And, and and I know we're about to move on um, to protest the hero, but you you even see you do see this throughout bitter rivals, um, and and I I think that um, I think another song where the kind of that does um, work on some of this lyrical uh, territory uh, is um, a song in the, uh, cut in the middle of uh, the album called Young Legends, right? And the part of the hook says, young legends die all the time, but I don't mind. Don't close your eyes. Um, and so I think that this idea of, um, of, of youth and, and how to, you know, how to, you know, in some ways, especially engaging, this being the third studio album from Sleigh Bells, is, you know, it's similar to a problem of, you know, once you've been making, right, so 
in, on your first album of you know when as you're a 20 something early to mid 20 something making an album that kind of dredges up themes related to high school and has this kind of youthful vigorous music you know fine but then it, you know that's kind of like you know let's say even seasons 1 through 2 or 1 through 3 of gossip girl or another school set in a high school but eventually these students are you know you're going to um age out and we talked a lot about this on in the kind of teen soap portion of um of of tft you know when that happens do you kind of change the parameters of what high school is and what teenagedom is and you know re-articulate the career master field as uh, gossip girl did so that you know they graduate from high school but they don't right and that all of all of manhattan kind of becomes their their playground uh or do you um like skins did um you know uh or uh, and a few other shows, you know, just basically graduate and age out one cohort and bring in a new cohort. And, you, you know, so does the camera pan uh, and does it um, or, or does it, it kind of uh, stay put and you kind of flip through the um, subject material? And I think Glee, what, Glee, for what it's worth, tried to have it both ways, which I think was a weakness. Yeah, and I think that in some ways, Sleigh Bells, at least on this album, is also trying to have it both ways. Yeah. Um, and you and you feel this, and, and again, and I, I, you actually feel this on the last song on the album, Love Sick, which um, is the the one that feels the most like an attempt to do something very different, and, and I dislike it very strongly, because it feels like a... A, a kind of contemporary, the worst reaches of contemporary top 40 um, pop music. Um, and so I think that for a band like Sleigh Bells, it will be really interesting to see essentially how they deal with uh, aging out and the, the, the kind of process and movement that's associated with Teenage Jump, since that is kind of a lot of what what is giving them their energy, both thematically and musically. I think we're going to have to move on. This is going to be another one of our epic. Uh, it's going to be one, another one of our epic length things. Because I know, we, which is which is amazing because in the pre-show we're like, yeah, this will, we'll do forty-five minutes yeah, and we'll then knock out. It. We'll knock this one out in forty-five minutes. And I think gang- we did forty-five minutes on sixty-five days of static. <laughs> <laughs> gang tape uh, next week's along with it. All right, uh, so moving on to protest the hero and volition, uh, the twenty thirteen their twenty thirteen record. They're sort of a what they're a post-hardcore or kind of what, progr- post-metal, progressive metal? Yeah, progressive metal is the um, uh, uh, is, is the descriptor that, again, if you just go by the first thing that comes up uh, on their Wikipedia page, uh, they're described as progressive metal. And I think that's actually interesting. Um, yeah, uh, is the rest a, of metal regressive? Or, you that, know... That's exactly what I was thinking about, is a, of what is... And I'm I, for those... Um, the listeners who who kind of know metal, uh, whether that's um, you know the, the uh, uh, either uh, Arden uh, Sedlins who suggested this band or anyone who else listens to metal, I'd love to see a few uh, citations to to some currently operating regressive metal bands. Out there. <laughs> I guess that's maybe like you know the new Black Sabbath album is probably regressive metal, right? Um, although it's actually a really good, it's a good album. Um, but you know, like so, I think one way to describe regressive metal is when the you know kind of and there's there was a, a white snake album um a few years ago that i actually wrote about on overthinking it um called i think the uh, article was called cock rock commitment um 
and and uh and 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 so i think one way one kind of regressive metal is um is is kind of going backwards um almost in the way that you know the arctic monkeys have burrowed deeper and pared down into rock but again if if you if anyone has good uh, examples of regressive metal um uh, 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 you know, send them to us. But it's interesting that it is referred to as progressive metal as opposed to post-metal. Um, and and I think it, it is interesting that um, and you and know, right, right, it's it's a different claim rhetorically to say that something has progressed, that something has moved on and developed, uh, rather than saying it's ended and this is what happens after it. Right? Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because again. And, and and I think with rock, right? So there is a progressive rock, and 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 I think that you know part of why bands that are called post rock are not called progressive rock or prog rock is that you know that itself you know rather than being a process of progressing, you know, um, uh, prog rock ossified as itself as a genre, right? So uh, if it was initially a word that was used to describe, you know bands that were moving in a kind of were pushing the ball forward it then ossified right uh and i think there is you know in some ways the progressive um tag actually feels more appropriate it feels appropriate more appropriate than the post tag for um 65 days of static um and so uh um you know, I guess you know a, a short run um, question. I would, or you know, kind of low level, mid level um, re- research question that might be an interesting entry point onto um, uh, protest the hero is: in what ways is this progressive, right? Um, progressive metal, and is uh, and did that label help your approach uh, to this, or what, if anything, did um, aid you in kind of? grasping uh and and grappling with the um uh the the this this piece well yeah i mean my my knowledge of jazz actually was the the and of like the and of like highly technical um not like swinging jazz like cool jazz but of of like highly technical art jazz uh especially in like a uh big band context right like um, largely from from high school when I was really into that kind of thing uh, was my was my way in because I thought that this in terms of like the the stunning displays of technical virtuosity in terms of a lot of the the polyrhythms or rhythmic experimentation and the um, the the sort of uh, the complexity right of the the sort of rhythmic rhythmic material complexity but sort of like rock solid uh, yeah. underlying underlying beat in in which in which it's a little different from jazz, which can kind of push on the beat uh, yeah. more than than rock and roll music, which which really tends to be you know straight ahead tempo wise. Um, and, but like uh, ri- you know r- phrasing, rhythmic accents that sort of emphasize that really kind of tug against the the sort of four on the floor. Um, Thing. And then, and then also the use of sort of metal, metal of many lines, uh, mm. right? Like that go because there are a couple of like folk music breakdowns. There are a couple of like acoustic mm. breakdowns on this mm-hmm. record, and in in 
in most of them, you it really lays bare how complicated the yeah. the textures are because there are like three or four vocal lines going at the same time, mm-hmm. and it's really cool. And there's this kind of like uh, uh, in music theory terms, there's like a kind of hocket, like a trading rhythm off between parts uh, going on. There's great counterpoint going on. You know, it's really. I mean, I don't know. It's really. Uh, it's really exciting. I found it. I found it very exciting, and I'm not sure that all the screaming guitars were always adding to my sense of to my sense of excitement. Though they certainly amped up the yeah. the, the sound a lot, like uh, amped it up sonically and and really put a lot of adrenaline into it. I guess. I, and even though they were like clearly amazing players, because like it's it's more than one musician and they're playing in in unison in these like you know tight harmonies in intricate rhythms and it's very 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 virtuosic and like is very very clearly a you know a display of skill but um i i wonder if like i wonder if something gets lost kind of underneath underneath the display of skill it's kind of like jumping up and down and shouting look at me look at me look at me right like uh it it does tend to take up does tend to take up all of my all of my attention and i say this not to detract one bit from its awesomeness because i was like my my jaw was on the desk like most of the time i was listening to this um to this thing but i i wonder and maybe it would come out on repeated repeated listening so maybe not being being fair to it it's not kind of like jumping out at me and like presenting its you know infinite riches to me on on first listen but um i i wonder if I wonder if all of that flashy stuff doesn't obscure something that's maybe even cooler uh, going on uh, underneath. I mean, I think that, that it, it, again, I think what's interesting here is that this could be possibly approached in a few different ways, right? And, and um, you know, back in, I, I actually do think our churches episode um, is really the the touchstone in a lot of ways for this uh, episode, and I think that you know one is in you know this a distinction I think that you made between songs and pieces of music, and I think part of what I'm I'm hearing you say is that like right so that I think what's really interesting is that actually. This is maybe a um, Protest the Hero, maybe a rare band or a rare, uh, and Volition, maybe a rare album that's actually working on both of those levels. And, right? and, and so kind of are, at the same time, like all of these the tracks, same time. yeah, yeah, our songs and our our pieces of music, right? Exactly by, by that definition that we put in the in the church's episode. Exactly, and so and part of what I, I hear you say is that you know you would also very much like to hear the songs, um, and that uh, that you would like to um, hear you know whether it's hear the melodies engage deeper with the the lyrics um and kind of understand the the song craft um and that it's hard to um to to um kind of move away from the um the the pieces uh and and i i definitely i definitely fine with that i've i've listened to this um a couple of times i've listened to the album maybe three or four times and I definitely my first listen um i think what jumped out and you we talked about the kind of technical virtu- virtuosity um and for me particularly what really kind of angered me and and uh is is the drums and is the use of you know the double double bass drum right and so that you know you say that in terms of their of moving away from 
four on the floor. They are frequently putting sixteen to thirty-two on the floor. Oh, and and like there were like there are like five over four fills. There are seven over eight fills. Like it's really yeah. it's awesome. Like d- just the 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 level of of technical accomplishment in yeah in the drums, I, which I noticed as well as the as the guitars. Well, right, and it's 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 interesting, right? That um, you know that. W- of the the um, acts that we've discussed, um, uh, you know, sixty five days of static is the one that's described as math rock. But like you know, um, really protested the hero is like they're like you know there there's some like goodwill hunting shit going, on. <laughs> um, you know, and and you know and, and and you know and 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 I think that that's uh, and 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 it's 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 apparent. And I think that you know one way in which I kind of engage, and it's cool is that I was able, my first kind of pass, the first kind of level or layer at which I engaged with this was just on, wow, this is like, this is fast, this is, um, this is tight. Um, and, and I think, you know, in addition, as you mentioned, in addition to being highly subdivided and, and performed uh, at a high level, it's also very synced up, right? So it's as if, you know, the, the, um, you know, the Steve Reich piece that was built to phase, it's like as if someone is fucking up Steve Wright's drumming by all, all of a sudden getting in unison, right? <laughs> Alright, we're supposed to have this beautiful phase piece that everybody's going in and out, and all of a sudden like, they, uh, the, the drummers and drumming fuck up and are all going and 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 they it's the best possible way to fuck up Steve Reich uh, because it's it's the, the more layers you have and the ways and then then makes the moments where it pulls apart or diverges um, all the more powerful and I think that then on on later listens um, what I started to notice is that the ways in which the the big unison hits and then the big especially like but, you know, fast hits come um, vary a lot, right? And so in terms of, again, some of these ideas of, of composition and spacing um, that vary a lot from song to song throughout the album, which make it a really interesting album. Um, and then on, on some songs, um, I think earlier in the album, um, it uh, really feels like, you know, like machine gun hits uh, or like um, almost like a, a, a um, something mechanical, like a, a, a train or a, like a locomotive or a, a, an airplane is moving very fast and is, is shaking, right? And the, and the digga, 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 digga is, is, is a mechanical piece coming loose and rattling against another mechanical piece. Um, and, and, and yet it, that is to produce that, you know what is required is a tremendous amount of physical um, control, um, and then, then the kind of third layer that kind of um, comes in is is are the actual is is the song layer, um, and whether that's um, the melodies and some of the the melodies which um, uh, to um, uh, to some of the songs um, like. Um, what is it the 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 chasing after uh windmills um song um and um and and a drumhead trial or it's tilting against windmills um drumhead trial and plato's tripartite have um pretty strong melodies um that that uh that that come through but that's really a at least for me and maybe this is also because this is a, son- a sonic palette or a a kind of 
you know, a vocabulary, a, you know, a set of nor- a library of norms that I, I possess a bit less less of. I, you know, again, the the understanding these as songs kind of comes the latest um, in the process. Yeah, though it's though it's clearly like there's super commitment to the singing, right? Like it's oh, like it's Soren metal vocals. It has that like uh, metal tenor. Uh, sound that's 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 very cool, but I but I so I, w- I want to ask about I mean and, and there are pieces of emo so it's emo adjacent as well um uh, in, in in terms of both the use of screaming um and and even just the nature right it's there's the vocals really you know are just. Are, are, are riding that line again if there's a fine line between Beck and Fr- uh, Fred Durst there's also a fi- fine line between Chris Caraba of Dashboard Confessional and Bruce Dickinson of um, of, of, uh, of, of, of Iron Maiden right <laughs> um, and, and they're on that line interestingly uh, uh, what was the question? You so the, I, I want to make a le- yes. sorry. I want to I want to make sure that we can get uh, that we can uh, to- sort of totally tap this vein before I uh, before I move on because I want to make a left turn uh, in the uh, are these guys for real um, category and I I want to ask about the electronically altered uh, like very low demon voice. Mm. You know, is, yeah. that, is that for real? Like, is that that's that's an aspect of this that that was to me like a little bit. Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a little bit. Uh, uh, I'm not sure what to think of it. Uh, mm. You know, you, you know what I mean? Like, does does it because because it, it strikes me as being kind of silly. But again, it's sort of not in my library of norms to have recourse to that you know, particular trope, right? That is outside of my normal metaphorical palette. Matt, when you punish a person for dreaming their dreams, don't expect them to thank or forgive you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Hail Satan. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but that's, I mean, but there's heavy irony in, in, in that, right? Like, it's yeah. not... And this is a lyric for those of you... This is a essential text for uh, TFT, guys. This, <laughs> this was in the, the 101 class, guys. And you exactly. Gotta, you know. This is from the song um, The Best Ever Death Metal Band in Denton uh, by the Mountain Goats, which is on the album All Hail West Texas. Um, and, and yeah, but so, sorry, go ahead, uh, Matt. R- well, right, like, so I don't want to... I don't want to know. I, I'm not asking... I'm not asking it's not a rhetorical question i'm not asking it to be a dick i'm not trying to put down what i think is an awesome record or a genre of music or the people who like it or anything like that all kinds of i i'm and i really mean all the sensitivity disclaimers because like there's a lot that's that's super awesome uh that i recognize about about this record but but i have to ask is it on the same level of of seriousness or is it like is it sort of fun Right, like, it, do we do demon? Do we do demon voice to like, you know, sort of take the piss a little bit, right? Like, and and make fun of of our own, yeah. Uh, the the seriousness or um, something we're sort of debating in a in a forum thread on overthinking it right now is the self seriousness of, uh, you know, of um, of progressive metal or of of yeah. these guys in particular. And the, or or is it a burden right is it a a like because these guys 
you know, by in some ways almost, you know, certain accidents of, you know, in some ways it's, you know, one thing we've been kind of dancing through is kind of, you know, all three of these bands are, you know, either in hybrid genres or, um, or, or span, um, genres and, and just by through kind of idiosyncratic, um, 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 accidents of, of geography, um, and timing and, and kind of, you know, personal history end up in one track rather than another. And, and again, you know, that these lines, part of how these lines between emo and metal, um, are actually very thin when you actually think about what's happening or between, um, Beck and Fred Durst have a lot to do is, is very contingent, you know, is that, you know, do you do the, the, um, the, the demon voice because you are a, um, a metal band, uh, you are a progressive metal band. Um, and that is what, is done and it's expected, right? And so there are, are kind of, you know, that through the kind of, you know, that through um, the, the discursive realm of power that you are, that it's constitutive, right? That, that if you don't have um, a demon voice, you're not a metal band. And since they already are a metal band, um, from wanting to be a metal band, then they must continue to be a, a metal band, right? So that, um, and 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 so that the and so that um, the demon actually lives inside all. We are the demon. We are the, the we are the demon voice um, uh, 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 rumbling through. Um, and so I think that that's so. I guess there's a, that's a one interpretation. I mean, there's another in terms of, I guess another way of thinking about it, a less kind of sinister or, or, or negative interpretation is that, you know, it is just another, and in terms of like whether or not it's, it's employed seriously um, or, or not, and, you know, is it for real, it's a, and it would be to just to think of it as, right, um, I, I kind of think of like, you know, Bob Ross painting with his palette and making little happy trees. And, he, and, you know, Bob Ross wants to use all of the colors on his palette and that this is one of the the colors on the palette. And, it, it, and again, it's on the palette um, because of, of, you know, the fact that um, Protest the Hero kind of has their origins and their, you know, um, and their uh, current um, existence, um, you know, in the metal space, even though their actual, the record label for a while was Vagrant, which actually is an emo, largely emo and kind of punk um, label, that they're, 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 they are, it's on the, right, it's a different kind of face of power to kind of quote, um, you know, uh, sociologist John uh, Gaventa, that rather than it being just that discourse is framed and they, they, they are kind of pushing this era, it's just that, well, by accidents of history, this is on the table, so they're going to use it. Um, and so that's, that's another kind of spectrum. And then again, at the kind of other ends of the spectrum, uh, there's even kind of more agency um, being employed by, you know, um, by, by the band, either in kind of playfully using this uh, and playing with expectations or just really seriously saying part of what we're expressing in some of these songs are the demons within and you do that with a demon voice uh, right <laughs> so there's a whole range of of kind of you know from like radical agency to radical kind of structural determinism um and and it and it's i mean i guess that that is you know in some ways that that spectrum is really the um, almost a more important spectrum than the like you know 
the 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 straw man authenticity spectrum of most indie to least indie huh. right and 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 so i think that the ways in which we both understand agency and which artists understand uh agency um and then the kind of you know canon itself really um you know produces and reproduces and like deconstructs kind of um, agency and 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 structure, um, and uh, is where the action is, right? And so that you know, in some ways, you know, thank you, Mister Demon Voice, for, for <laughs> that. That we we the, the Demon Voice unlocks the portal um, of of agency. <laughs> Well, I don't know if we end the podcast because simply it's time to end the podcast or if we end the podcast because we choose to end the podcast because we've run out of things to say. But in any case, I think we end uh, I think we end the podcast now. So this is uh, this has been the demon voice is telling me otherwise. The demon voice has continued a podcast. (laughs) It's not it's it's really not nice to refer to your fiance like that. Um, let's, uh, so let's leave the conversation there, uh, pausing only to thank, uh, Tetrarch Angel, uh, Arden Seldens and Tulse, uh, for their great recommendations and for everyone for participating, for bringing these, um, uh, these bands and these albums to our attention. We're going to do another one of these, um, before, before too long. Uh, but next, next week we have a, uh, we have a dual, we have a sort of compare and contrast assignment for you. Uh, it's, it's Lady Gaga's Art Pop and Born to Die. Um, there are, I'm looking online and there are uh, a bunch of editions of, of Born to Die, but I think the, uh, I think the un uh, I, I think the unextended record is probably the one that 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 we're going to, to yeah. Look there's at, no right? no need to prolong everyone's misery. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so that's, uh, that's what we have on deck for next week. We will see you back, uh, next time until then you can hit us up on, uh, Twitter mostly. Um, there, there is a Facebook page, but no one uses it. We're talking to people mostly on Twitter at TFT podcast, uh, and in the comments on the show notes for this episode. Thank you for listening and we will see you next time.